This is part two of a former member of the LDS Church asking questions about where is Jesus in Mormonism. Next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? We've been discussing a book entitled, Where is Jesus?, written by a former member of the LDS Church. Mormon polygamy doctrine is based on original Mormon church doctrine, so we need to ask that question to the polygamist too. Where is Jesus in your religion? Where is he in your thinking, in your plans, in your motives, your Sunday morning meetings? Mormonism uses his name, but Mormon doctrine teaches opposite of what Jesus taught. Now, we're quoting from portions of this book to make our point, written and published by Brenton Laidler, a former Mormon who asked that question himself as he no noticed that Jesus was absent in most of Mormon's teachings and members' testimonies. We begin this time with the section entitled, Can Marriage Be Eternal?, in the final comments of part one, we quoted a few doctrinal statements from early Mormon prophets about how important marriage is for the eternal life of qualified Mormons. We want to quote a couple more to lay the foundation and to show how Mormonism has replaced Jesus as Savior and made marriage a Savior or co-Savior mm -hmm. instead. Polygamists, of course, consider polygamy their Savior. We quote. Yeah, this is from page... <clears throat> not sure. Okay. He says, eternal marriage is directly and intimately associated with the doctrine of exaltation. It is intimately connected with obtaining eternal life in the kingdom of God. It plays as vital and important a part as any of our acts can play in the eternal plan of salvation. Bruce R. McConkie. Um, From the new and everlasting covenant. So now, yeah. sorry. Bruce R. McConkie authored the book Mormon Doctrine. He did. And I understand now the LDS Church no longer allows that to be printed. Well, I don't know <laughs> if it's available at the bookstore. I mean, most oh. of us folks have a copy of yeah. it, but yeah. I'm sure the new people don't. Uh, no, they've quit. They've stopped publishing it. Okay. Uh, however, uh, they say it doesn't rightly... Um, Oh. you know, reveal true Mormon doctrine, and yet Doctr the... Doctrines have changed. Yeah, <laughs> the doctrines have changed, but they don't say it like that. Yeah. Uh, but it was published, um, it was written by Bruce R. McConkie, a general oh, authority, and it was published and by a company that was owned by the LDS Church, and sold yeah. in the, L the Desert sure. Store, owned by the LDS Church. So what he wrote in that book, at least, was Mormon doctrine during the period of time that he wrote it. And, uh, and it you heard what it said about marriage, how important it is, yeah. most important. It was repeatedly quoted from in, in uh, the teachings on marriage in both polygamy and um, in the Mormon church. Now, certainly they must have considered this book Mormon doctrine at the time that he wrote it, even though now they deny it. But the polygamists continue to embrace those early Mormon teachings. Yeah. They don't change their doctrines as much <laughs> as the LDS church does, although they do change. But... Um, here's what the current present-day president of the LDS Church says about marriage, which also reflects the polygamous belief, and this would be current as of today. Yeah. <laughs> Celestial marriage is a pivotal part of preparation for eternal life. It requires one to be married to the right person, in the right place, by the right authority, and to obey that sacred covenant faithfully. Then one may be assured of exaltation in the celestial kingdom of God. This is from Russell M. Nelson in a conference edition 
of the Ensign November 2008. Entitled Celestial Marriage. So, yes. so again, current doctrine is marriage is essential. Right. Now, of course, polygamists have always embraced the idea and invented the dogma of the importance of plural marriage to be saved. And uh, they also say, if you know about it and don't live it, you're damned. Wow. So there shows you where I'm going. Now, as we stated last time, Paul the Apostle was not married. Neither was Jesus. There are no records of marriages of Elijah, Elisha, John the Baptist, and other biblical characters that Mormons hold in high esteem. If marriage is as important as Mormonism claims, there would be passages in the Bible saying so. But there are none. And there's none in the Book of Mormon either, by the way. Nothing that confirms or condones the necessity of marriage that Mormonism claims is essential for exaltation, eternal life, and no teaching at all about eternal marriage. Now, if you're a viewer who was in a sect of Mormonism, we hope that you'll uh, take to heart God's revealed view and doctrine of marriage. It's important. What God tells us about marriage is more important and holds more authority than what anyone else can ever or has ever said about it. And according to him, to God, we get to decide for ourselves <laughs> if we want to marry and to whom and when and where. It's all our choice. <laughs> Section three of the book we're looking at is entitled, Can Marriage Be Eternal? According to the LDS faith, God has designed all of us to be married. They believe that his plan for us rides on the hopes of us finding that special someone to spend the rest of our lives with. It is perhaps the most vital of all decisions and has the most far-reaching effects, for it has to do not only with immediate happiness, but also with eternal joys. It affects not only the two people involved, but also their families, particularly their children and their children's children, down through the latest generations. Really? Mormon's view of marriage is different than the, than the rest of the world, the rest of the religious worlds sees and experiences marriage. They believe marriage in this life extends to the next life and goes on for eternity. Joseph Smith and present-day polygamists also teach that a man will take multiple wives in eternity in order to expand the power of his godhood. Now, Orthodox Mormon revelation, allegedly given to Joseph Smith, taught the principle of celestial marriage, which was a term and at that time was synonymous with polygamy. Mm -hmm. It was plural marriage. Yeah. It included secret rites and rituals and oaths and other secret covenants and handshakes and so on. And it must be done in an authorized location and performed by an authorized Mormon high priesthood holder. After all, the, that they the, the, uh, that they think they're eternally they think they're being eternally sealed yeah. together, yeah. and they don't believe that anything can break their marriage, not even death, right. if it's done according to their assignment. But that's not how Jesus said. That's what he said, and that's not what how he said God has designed marriage. When a man took plural wives, he would repeat those rituals and. Oh, with each woman that he married, with each new wife that right. he took. And these are, are not civil marriages, and they're not legal marriages. They weren't then, and they're not now. They were called eternal marriages, and the only way from Mormon exaltation to the highest of the Mormon's heaven is through celestial marriage or polygamy. Now, Section 132, the LDS Church today, says is only eternal marriage. 
but God's definitions don't change. If it was celestial marriage equals polygamy in 200 years ago, it still is, yeah. whether, no matter what sure. they claim. Right. <laughs> this is what Mormons' uh, scriptural writings teach in section 132 of their Doctrine and Covenants when that section was first revealed, it dealt exclusively with polygamy. And, and polygamy has always been illegal in every single location that the Mormons lived, even though they claim to obey the laws of the land in which they lived. Their claims are empty and deceitful because polygamy has always been illegal wherever they lived, and it still is. Also, to make it clear, the Bible teaches that marriage is only for this life. But Mormonism seems to make it a point to go beyond what the Bible teaches in almost everything they teach. And they've certainly done that concerning marriage. We quote from Romans chapter 7. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Now, God says he doesn't show favoritism, so this is true for the male yeah. or for the female. Um, death breaks the law of marriage. It says so. <laughs> it does. <laughs> and if there was going to be an eternal ceiling for eternal marriage, why wouldn't it be put in here? at this very, very place yeah. where it tells us that there's no marriage after this life. Even Jesus said that there's no marriages after this life. Um, Joseph Smith made it all up. He devised it as his defense to the extramarital exploits that he kept getting himself yeah. involved in. In Mormonism, till death do you part is not part of their thinking. Now, children and teens are groomed for marriage in Mormonism. and polygamy groups, they're groomed for polygamy, we quote. <laughs> Even at a young age, marriage is spoken of in high regard. In primary class, little Mormon boys and girls are taught to prepare themselves to be married in the temple for all eternity. I remember singing the song, Families Can Be Together Forever, proclaiming that I can spend eternity with my family through the power of a temple ceiling. It's all a myth. Yeah. It's all such a myth. Marriage should definitely be spoken of in high regard. But their little kids are being indoctrinated with unbiblical ideas about marriage, and that's wrong. The author quotes biblical passages to prove and or disprove what Mormonism believes about marriage. Now, whether people believe it or not, the Bible actually is authoritative <laughs> and exclusively God's revealed words for humans. We're warned not to add to it and not to remove from it or to go beyond or disregard what is written. <laughs> but yet Mormonism has done all of the above. And Jesus said, we will be judged by his word. That sounds authoritative to me. <laughs> we quote. The Bible says that Apostle Paul was never married, nor did he ever get married. Paul even called his singleness a gift from God. In his letter to the church in Corinth, he said that single people have just as much of a place in ministry as do married people. That's married what, couples. Married couples. And this is what we mean by contradictory beliefs. The yeah. Mormons just contradicts what the Bible teaches. Now, some people, of course, will claim that Paul never went to the celestial kingdom. But at that point, they're just making things up. Neither was Paul a polygamist, which polygamist claim is required to get into heaven. The author mentions other biblical people who were not married 
and we've talked about a few of them, but he also mentions the prophet Jeremiah as one of them. In fact, Jeremiah was commanded not to get married. We find this. This is very interesting. Jeremiah 16. Yeah, verses 1 through 4. The word of the Lord came to me, You shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place. For thus says the Lord concerning the sons and daughters who were born in this place, and concerning the mothers who bore them and the fathers who fathered them in this land, they shall die of deadly diseases. So protect Jeremiah and a possible family. He told him, don't get married, but still commissioned him to do work for him. So he was able to minister and not be married. He had a big job to do. He had to carry God's messages to give to the rebellious people who didn't believe God's word. And we find these messages in 52 chapters of the book. That's a big book. If marriage was so necessary, why would God give Jeremiah a specific command not to get married? There's more. (laughs) Who else is unmarried in the Bible? Miriam, Moses' sister, the prophet Elijah, who was so righteous that rather than die, was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. Elisha, another prophet of Israel. John the Baptist. There are several others that I have not even mentioned. But I will say one last name, the only one worth mentioning really, Jesus of Nazareth. (laughs) These are important people in the Bible and in the Mormon church. They are. And, and, And yet they disregard the facts as they're there and before their eyes. We've heard the response of Mormon folks and polygamists that just because the Bible doesn't record uh, an event or, for instance, Jesus being married, doesn't mean he wasn't married or, as polygamists say, that he took plural wives. Mm -hmm. But if marriage is so important, and this is the point we're making, the importance that they placed on it, and since Jesus is the Savior, then it's imperative that Jesus would have fully disclosed and regulated and explained the importance of marriage to salvation. But he didn't, nor did he discuss polygamy as part of his plan for man's eternal life. We have another quote. (laughs) When reading about his life, you realize that Jesus' main purpose for coming into this world was to save sinners. His sole purpose on this earth was to die on the cross and redeem mankind. Further, Jesus was constantly on the move. How would he have found the time to provide for his wife or wives? The Bible says that it's a sin for man not to provide for his family. But if any provide not for his own and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. How could Jesus then be, be have been married and not provide? Certainly been a good husband. Huh? Yeah, he, he was without sin. So yeah. it's impossible for him to have been married and not provide for his family. He would not have neglected his family like today's polygamy group um, and the, how their men neglect their wives and families, uh, leaving so many of them in just total poverty, the wives working themselves to death to provide for themselves. And right. further, on the cross, the care of his own mother was given over to the Apostle John. No mention of his wife or wives. Why not if he was married? Why wouldn't he be concerned about their yeah. future care? These kinds of details would be there in his word if he had been married and it was as important as Mormonism claims. Now then, of course, the author moves to the main question of the book. In all their doctrine, teaching and dogma of marriage, 
where's Jesus? That's right. We always ask the question, just who is the Savior in Mormonism? Just what is it that helps Jesus accomplish his purpose of saving us? We don't find a list of salvation helpers anywhere in the Bible. Now, the Ten Commandments is not a list of how to be saved. It's a list showing the impossibility of how we can never be good enough to earn our own salvation because it's impossible to always keep all the commandments all the time. And then, of course, Mormonism, the LDS, and polygamists have added hundreds more commandments on top of the Ten. So where's the Savior in all this? We quote. He writes, Our spouse is not the main focus. Jesus is. Heaven is not about me or my wife. It's about Jesus. It is about giving honor and worship to him who granted us eternal life. He quotes Luke 14, uh, verse 26, a verse that all LDS and polygamists should pay attention to because the great and greatest focus is not ourselves, our families or our spouses or our human kingdom. Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's pretty strong, isn't it? It's showing what sacrifice what, you should make for what Jesus. The importance. Yeah. Exactly. Notice the words mother and wife are singular. Whereas in polygamy, children will have many mothers and man will have many wives. Now, marriage in the Bible is always held up as being monogamous by God's design. We're commanded to surrender completely to God and have nothing or no one more important than he is in our daily lives, in everything. Of course, this verse isn't saying that we're to be hateful to others or to our loved ones. It's a statement of contrast. Our love for Jesus should be greatest in comparison to all other attachments in this life. We quote again from the book, Where is Jesus? In my experience, the majority of Mormons look forward to spending an eternity with their spouse or their family rather than spending it with Jesus. This is backwards. Jesus is the one who has given us eternal life and should, therefore, be first and foremost in our minds by focusing on spending an eternity with their spouse instead of our God. Mormons have forgotten who truly deserves their honor and praise. What they have actually done is turn their spouses, friends, or family members into an idol. And that is so true. Families so true. are forever kind mm-hmm. of thing. They really. Yeah. And what they do to friends and loved ones who leave is just atrocious. Mm. Good point. And of course, this is opposite of what Jesus taught in the Bible. They do have it backwards. And it is true with polygamists. It's true with the LDS. They love and revere their group and their church and, and their leaders more than they do Jesus. The bottom line is they demoted Jesus. Next, the author makes a very good, interesting, and important observation. And if you're in Mormonism of any kind, please think this one through. The LDS church and polygamists places so much of an emphasis on marriage that they have completely overlooked who created it in the first place. Why would God create the LDS version of marriage knowing that it completely removes him from our desires and focus? Why would he make an institution that makes him share his glory with a sinful created being? He wouldn't. He wouldn't. He would not. And he even says he won't share his glory with anyone. Yeah. 
Now, the Ten Commandments can be found in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. The first two commandments concerns our relationship with our Creator, God Almighty. Deuteronomy 5. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Yet Mormonism has carved out images of Joseph Smith, who was idolized in various places all over the planet. Mormonism has developed a religion that has millions, even billions of gods existing before and beyond God Almighty, who gave the Ten Commandments. Mormonism has placed rules and rituals, commandments, ceremonies, and their creeds above God himself. They may not realize it and, of course, deny it, but by practice and doctrine, it's true. And marriage has become one of their saviors. He asks, where is Jesus? The answer is, not where he should be. <laughs> the next section we won't spend much time on discussing because we're about out of time. And it's about modern-day prophets. And he quoted Thomas Monson, who claimed that by his own example, Joseph Smith taught... Mormons, how he loved by giving up his life for his friends, applying to himself what Jesus did, yeah. exalting himself to be equal with Jesus. So where is Jesus? <laughs> They've taught that the living prophet's words can be considered scripture. These men receive a great deal, receive a great deal of honor and, and, and reverence, but none is more revered than Joseph Smith. LDS, as well as polygamists, hold Smith as equal in righteousness and as great a leader as Jesus himself. In fact, they say, some of them, you can't even get into heaven without Joseph Smith's approval. You have to pass by him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. they do. That's where they put him. They praise him. They sing songs to him. They make statues of him. So considering all this, where's Jesus? Equal. He writes, My point is that Mormon prophets, either by their own doing or by allowing the church to do it, are elevated to or above the throne of Jesus. This dishonors the one who deserves it. Sad, yeah. sad. This applies to Mormon polygamy groups as much as it does to the LDS church. Psalm 114, verses 11 through 13 says, Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. So why are they praising <laughs> and revering Joseph Smith? instead of the Lord of heaven and earth. This is a very good book for anyone from Mormonism who's seeking a deeper and genuine relationship with Jesus or is having doubts about their Mormon faith. Now, isn't that what we both discovered yeah. when we began our journey out of Mormonism? That we had been focused on, motivated by the wrong thing, the wrong <laughs> person, and the wrong doctrines. So true. So true. Uh, and... And yet I thought as a Mormon that, or LDS that I was okay with Jesus. I really thought I knew him. I trusted him. I had taken the sacrament every week to remember his sacrifice and all that. But mm -hmm. I can honestly say that I did not know him. And reading the Bible gave me a chance to get to know him. To get to know who he yeah. is. And I didn't have that before. <laughs> 
No yeah, question. Yeah, for sure. No yeah. Um, I remember when I was a new, a new Christian, a new on this journey. Uh, Easter come along, and in the newspaper, they had newspapers then, not the internet. <laughs> and um, I think Hinckley was president at the time, and he always gave a message to the people in the newspaper. And I read the message that he had written for the the LDS people, and not one word included Jesus. Not one word included Jesus. It was Easter. <laughs> It was his resurrection. And they talk about not wearing a cross because their focus is on his life, not on his death, where the Bible tells us that our communion when we do the, the, the Lord's Supper is to reflect on his death. Exactly. Opposite. Again, it's just one of those, say, many of those many things that opposite of what the Bible teaches. And I don't know how to get through to them. That's the real difficulty. I, well, you're, they're not that, thinking. That's they're what not, we're doing here is trying, trying to get to through to them and, and pray that, that with prayer that God will just take some of these things and apply them. At least take an honest look at yeah, it. Yeah, at least you take know, an honest this, look at yeah. it. That's that's what we ask. Thank you, Earl. Thank you, you so much for yeah. your uh, you participation you. here. You know, Matthew chapter 18, 1 through 4 says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child. He put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Well, if someone like a child is greatest in God's kingdom, how can marriage be so important? Young children don't marry. This means a married man or woman is not as important in marriage as they think they are. Matthew 22. Someone came up to Jesus in verse 36 and said, Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So the greatest commandment is love, not marital love or brotherly love, but the love we are to have for God. After that comes loving our neighbor, not marriage, not lust, not plurality, but the kind of love that helps, not hurts the one who is loved. All polygamists would do well, very well, to pay attention to the words and the salvation of Jesus Christ. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.